Welcome everyone to another episode of the Local Success Podcast. I am your host, Ricardo Flores. We continue our mission to admire, get inspired, and take action. Today, I have the honor to be joined by a highly successful individual in the TV and film industry, director Craig Borders. He produced and directed his first short film at the age of 11. He is one of the pioneers of the reality TV industry with director credits in shows like The Real World, Laguna Beach, The Mall, and many others. And on top of all that, he then got his degree in law. But most importantly, Craig is a loving father and a caring friend. I've gotten to know Craig over the years, and I know that his story and view on life align perfectly with this podcast. I hope you enjoy the talk. Thank you, Craig, so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. I'm excited for our talk. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, I want to start by letting you know why you're here. When I made this podcast, I created a list of people that I wanted to interview, and you were right on top of the list. It included things because I got to meet you a few years ago. You were so welcome and so nice. And I got to know your values about your family. We had some good talks about your daughter and son and, and, and your girlfriend and and inspiring what you've done professionally, but also in your in your real life. So I thank you for your time and I want to get to know you a little better. We can start off. Well, we haven't me. hung out much in the last four years. So I know. This really is a good haven't. time to catch up. <laughs> and you're I, ra- I ran into you recently. You were so welcome to do this open to this. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, let's start off with just your journey. Start off with where you're from, your family dynamic, and when your dreams of first getting into the film industry started. Uh, I grew up in San Francisco, and um, I was kind of into films as a little kid. I went to the Empire Cinema on West Portal, my neighborhood theater, and just loved, you know, everything 007 and bad teen movies, and, you know, I just lived there, and I followed all my my, uh, older kids in the neighborhood to the theater, and it was just kind of a nice escape for a kid. Mm. And uh, we started watching monster movies, Creature Feature on Saturday nights. And uh, and I just got into it, but I never really thought about it as a career hmm. uh, until my mom read an article about Steven Spielberg's mom and how she supported his love of filmmaking when he was really young, and she actually got involved and you know did special effects on his little movies he was making when he was a kid, and uh, used like I remember one of the stories was <clears throat> she used like cherries out of a can to, for fake blood wow. like she got hands-on with him and oh, coddled so that cool. so my mom read that and just decided to sign me and my friend uh, alex vogel up for a, a film class when we were like 10 years old wow. at uh, fort mason center for the arts in san francisco and uh, we just did stop motion animations my dad was a surgeon in vietnam and he had bought a uh, an eight millimeter camera on r and r and it was broken already by this is like 79 so he was there in 67 68 and it was already broken so i got you know in there with some wire and solder and realized that the batteries weren't connecting and just made the connection and fired up and all of a sudden i had a super 8 camera and i just started playing around with it doing stop action and that was my first yeah that was my first film uh was with my buddy alex that's so impressive yeah it was cool and then that's you know my mom kind of made me realize that this is something you can you know do and expand on maybe not as a career but just turned me on to it and then i got busy with you know girls and skateboarding and uh-huh. hanging out with friends and partying and you know screwing up in high school and <laughs> typical life. as most of us do yeah yeah and i realized i wanted to study something that i you know, in college that I loved, and it was filmmaking. Brought so you back I, to your early days. Yeah, yeah. And I started out uh, as an accountant, accounting major. Okay. Oh. And people look at me like they're like, "That does not seem like your kind of personality yeah. <laughs> to do accounting." And I was like, "It probably, it was because I loved it back then." Okay. But I 
you know, filmmaking was just the right choice. And you went to UCSB, right? So you made a change while there? I went to City College first. That's okay. where I started accounting. Okay. Uh, Professor Ed Bassey, I still remember his name because wow. he kind of inspired me. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then I, I transferred. And when I transferred, I realized that I did not want to keep doing you know, the pencil pushing gig. That would be a good job for like somebody my age, just like law, which is what we'll get to later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to touch on that a little later. So during college, I know you after college, you graduated and you had a really cool experience uh, f uh, producing and filming a documentary with the band. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, in college, one of the first people I met uh, was this guy Whitfield Crane. And uh, it was an inauspicious start of a friendship, but we ended up becoming very close friends for about eight years. And uh, I was just a big, you know, supporter of his, and he was a big supporter of mine, just brothers, you know. And uh, he started a band called Overdrive. And I went through, like, a couple different incarnations um, and then settled on a band called Ugly Kid Joe. Hmm. And they were getting signed by Mercury Records around the time I was graduating. Actually, they got signed before I graduated. So my first film in college was an animation I did for their EPK electronic press kit. It was just a five-second animation, uh, but it was the first thing I made in school that actually made it on MTV. Like, they took that little portion, the animation, uh -huh. out of the EPK to introduce them, and it was kind of cool to see your first college Absolutely. work yeah. <laughs> on MTV. <laughs> and lo and behold, that's where I would spend, you know, the next several decades working for Speaking of MTV, just want to throw this. When I first met you, I, I heard you produce for the real world, and that was one of my favorites. So I still watch the challenge. So I, <laughs> I already was inclined to really appreciate you. I directed the first challenge. That's so cool. That's so cool. So about experience with touring with uh, Kid Ugly Joe, the band. A little Ugly Kid Joe. Ugly Kid Joe. Tell <laughs> us a little bit about the experience of touring with rock stars, and where were you? How was that like? Well, it started out. I had graduated. Uh, they had already done a tour in like an RV, but they were blowing up and selling six million records they had a song called everything about you i hate everything about you it's kind of a hate ballad and uh they we were in hawaii for a show on new year's it was new year's day yeah 90 92 93 and it's i don't know if many people have this but i was filming with my little hi eight and uh basically i filmed my the start of my career wow <clears throat> they asked me if i wanted to go on tour and get paid $25 a day and all the beer I could drink and hang out with my best friends at the time and some who were still great friends um, and uh, what do you say to that? You say, hell <laughs> yes, sign a brother man, I'm going and it was a little nerve wracking, you know I was getting only a stipend, I got 25 bucks a day um, but, uh, you know when and the beer and the beer more beer than I could ever handle we actually had too much beer we dropped it off in like a fraternity house in Florida because mm. it was part of their deal but you know I just said hell yeah let's do it and I remember like leaving I met him in Vegas to start the tour and I just remember that kind of like gut sinking feeling of like we're going east <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> like this is going to be a crazy adventure but you're committed man we're we're yeah. going and then from there on it was just the best year of my life and it was off and on we didn't uh you know we didn't uh, do the full year so right. they would go off for like six weeks eight weeks two months and then we did europe uh with def leopard did you, a couple you of were festivals. What, 19 at the time i think i was 22 90, it was 93 the beginning of 93 so i was 20 yeah 23 about to be 24. so how did you feel then Talking about success at that age, do you remember seeing, maybe feeling like you've achieved it? 
I mean, that's a pretty big not deal already. All. Not at, at that all. point. No, I mean, I, I succeeded in having cool friends okay. <laughs> that were succeeding. <laughs> okay. and, and I became that almost famous friend, you know, who got to tag along on their coattails and just thoroughly knew what a, a blessing that was and what an adventure it was going to be. But it had nothing to do with my success got it. at that point, other than it was the start of my career. They gave me the opportunity to create something. Uh, that I could parlay into a career and that's sort of what happened it's kind of there's a whole other story about how I really started on the real world okay. <clears throat> it wasn't directly from that but yeah. that experience and this other experience in Costa Rica um, led to me getting getting the job what was that experience in Costa Rica if you don't mind sharing um, well right after I graduated this is before I went on tour um, I was I failed Italian and French, hmm. and so I had to get a, a language requirement done <laughs> to graduate. Right, so I actually technically graduated before I had my degree. I walked before I had my degree. Okay. Um, so a friend of mine had gone down to, uh, uh, you know, a Spanish language school in San Jose and did a month-long intensive course, jumping right into second year because that's all you had to do was test out a second year. Okay, and I had already had some Spanish and you know college before, and so I jumped in, did an intensive month, and then surfed for a month with my best friend Gavin and uh, and we were hanging out while we were in school at, at a bar watching a band and I met this um, this American tico, or, uh, uh, American journalist working for the Tico Times which was an American paper in San Jose uh -huh. uh, and she's like what are you doing down here and I was like I just graduated film school and going to school and she's like oh you gotta meet my friend he's a filmmaker and I was like, all right, cool. He turns around. He's like, hey, what's up? My name is Rafa. And so we just started talking. And like by the time we were done with a beer, we were just fast friends. And he had offered me a job, like wow. my first job as a DP, director of photography, on a commercial for the biggest bank in Central America, the Banco Nacional. Yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? And it was about you know, $100 for the day. And he said, Do you, you know, have you ever used a SR2? It's an airy camera. It's a film camera, 16-millimeter camera. Uh -huh. And I'd seen it used. I've used a bunch of similar cameras in film school, but I had never actually used it. And I was like, oh, of course. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hell yeah, buddy. No problem. Because I did think I could figure it out because yeah. all film cameras kind of function the same way. Right. And I show up. It was on a Tuesday, I remember, because I was so stoked to get $100 because I was already bleeding cash. Like, yeah. you know, I was already broke and going to school and just trying to live off of, you know, Gallo Pintos and beer. And so an extra 100 bucks back then was a good little inflow for, yeah. yeah, for the last <laughs> couple of weeks of my trip. And uh, and so he ended up, you know, get showing up and I, st I was struggling loading the camera. Uh -huh. I was in the bag. You have to, you know, back then you'd loaded film in a black bag. So you got no exposure of light. So I'm in there fumbling around. I'm like, it's a little different. And uh, he's like, you want me to help you? I was like, yeah, yeah, why don't you do that? <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you just, yeah. I just want to make sure you, you know your camera better. Day. <laughs> I, I just owned it. I was, and he, he laughed. And it actually kind of, I think, made us more bonded. We're still friends nice. years later. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I ended up you know doing some camera operating he mostly operated because he was the director wrote everything i mean he you're a one-man band kind of down there uh and i did a lot of focus playing camera assisting work so i had one credit and i got to you know shoot a couple of the shots so i had some camera operating like immediately out of film school so i parlayed that into uh, you know just working on a set 
this is another weird story. I don't know how much time we have here, but it's, as, I, much as, I, you as can. I'm talking, <laughs> as I'm talking, like one story rolls into the next. Yeah, that's what I want. With some kind of unusual little, you know, yeah. stories. But so I got back from that. Uh, and then I went on tour with Ugly Kid Joe and got that experience. And that ended in Brazil in 19, January 1994 for the Hollywood Rock Festival. Wow. Um, and that was just a big festival with like Aerosmith and Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown were there. 60,000 people. And that was kind of where I got off the bus. Okay. And said, all right, I got I to gotta get a job that pays more than $25 a day <laughs> and beer. <laughs> and so I ended up living in L.A. and I was... Uh, couch surfing on my brother's couch who was living with two of our really good friends that we grew up with um, uh, Bob and Jeff Callen and they were all trying to be actors <clears throat> and so they were going on uh, open calls and what do you call it uh, extra work and I had literally like my last 50 bucks and I had scratched off a scratcher <laughs> um, to uh, to you know without like no i had a, like a couple dollars left wow and then i scratched off a 50 dollar scratcher and i was like i had 50 bucks in my name now and i it was it, it was right around the time that mcdonald's or burger king came out with a 99 cent whopper and i was like all right let's see three whoppers a day okay i can i can make it another two weeks in la i'll just hang out crash on my brother's couch and do some more of the stuff so then they took me on a uh, a job they were going to be extras on and they're like it pays 40 bucks for the day and I'm like sign me up yeah and then uh, so I got another 40 bucks and then they ended up um, bringing me on to do Forrest Gump this movie that had been it's announced but nobody movie, yeah. <laughs> nobody knew about and I literally I showed up for the it was a fitting wow and it was canceled for some reason probably because of the scale of that movie it was right. just like they were behind so they just canceled it and I still have my check for $10 for the canceled <laughs> fitting from Forrest Gump I was like what a weird name for a movie <laughs> Anyway, th those guys, um, you know, basically, the people that the film that I went on that paid the forty bucks a day was being produced by two of the real world producers, mm. uh, Tom Colomaria, <clears throat> and uh, so he was EIC for Buda Murray, which did the real world, yeah, and executive in charge. Sorry, I'm gonna start talking jargon if you don't stop me and <laughs> have me clarify for your listeners. Keep you going. But uh, so then they, you know, they said, hey, do you want to? coming you know they looked at my resume and I, I told them i didn't want to be an actor like my brother and my friends that i wanted to be behind the scenes uh -huh. so if you have any jobs like i was a hustler back then and i would do anything and why is that real quick why no why not acting and just be behind the scenes is that something just personal something you always liked some people are want the attention mm -hmm. some people don't want attention some people are indifferent to it i'm kind of in the indifferent category okay. it was never i always admire like i have a lot of admiration for actors it's a tough gig for sure it's easy if it's easy for you but it can be really tough and i don't know it just seemed like something i'm private i don't like to i don't know just was never my my bag i always liked the thoughts in my head put people <laughs> attention. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay yeah I, i've enjoyed helping people you know build their brand and build their careers and build their stack you know yeah um and i've gotten to work with some cool people and i've enjoyed it the whole way but it was yeah it's never my bag got it but um i forgot what we were talking about so um tom colomaria asked me you know do you what you know what do you want to do like we're making a movie like we just have the extras today but you know we might have some work we need for you to help out with camera assistant 
and I said I'd love to be in the camera department and uh, he's like well we don't really have anything like that right now but we do need a security guard because mm. <laughs> they were filming <clears throat> excuse me they were filming um, next to John Bon Jovi's house in Malibu wow. and it was a little film called uh, Mona Must Die and uh, and people were coming in with the crew and getting in through the gate because they when the gates would open for the crew they would just follow in and take pictures of John Bon Jovi's house so he you know I guess asked nicely that can we get someone at the gate to make sure people aren't coming in that aren't supposed to be there so that was my job and I sat there and I just read scripts and sat on a chair on PCH and was a security guard it's like my first Hollywood <laughs> job on set and then they asked me to do camera assisting for the pickup shots later and then brought me on to like the eight interviews I went on to try to get on the real world as a camera assistant making $75 a day it was the hardest interview process I've ever gone through and it was the first real you know job that I had and it started my career but it, seriously I went back and forth from LA to San Francisco because I met with the post-production crew and they're like we think you probably like to work in production better so why don't you go up to San Francisco which is where I'm from and uh, I could have a place to stay up there yeah. and so I, I tried to get on the crew and then they would send me back to LA and interview with them and then they sent me back to LA and I'm driving in my little tr truck with no AC and I ended up getting a job as the camera assistant on the real world San Francisco wow did you have any idea the real world was going to become what it ended up becoming or did absolutely you just, yeah really? absolutely I wow. mean I already was intrigued by the idea when I was in film school because they were advertising on MTV looking for people to do it and I was like what a interesting concept just oh, wow. you know from that level as a film student and then uh and then I saw the first season and some of the second season, and it was you know, it was kind of like any business. It was kind of getting into a groove and it was kind of defining itself, and it was really intriguing. And uh, and it was filming in my own hometown, so I was like, hell yeah, sign me up. Hmm. And as we were filming, we all knew, and to this day, we all know that it was something special. Like that show to me, it's like I don't know, heroin addicts talk about their first high. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was like my first high of this new kind of burgeoning genre that was actually meant to be, I don't know, helpful or inspirational for people to def you know to navigate you know diversity, you know, and individuality and how to get along with people and how to handle conflicts i mean it's really was armed it was meant to arm people with how to deal with this stuff that inevitably happens in life when you're young and then it just went off the fucking rails yeah <laughs> i know donald trump is president 25 30 years later like, so <laughs> like i literally it was like i was so inspired by this show and knew every day that i was working and i was inspired every day to work these 18 20 hour days sometimes i worked 100 hours straight on that show one time trying to get you know camera time wow and uh and but you knew that it was special you knew the cast was special um you knew the stories the city being my hometown i felt was special um, and so we busted our asses really you know everyone worked you know to the bone on that show and then it slowly just went off the rails <laughs> you know yeah. like it just got different the whole genre turned into honey boo boo children and so and then, then as you saw this progressing and in, 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 in starting to become what it was becoming what then became your goal um, did you realize okay well I'm doing this it's going to become huge do you want to stay with cameras what was kind of your end goal with this I mean, I was just at that point just trying to get experience because that's, you know, like I would tell my kids the same thing. I just say yes to anything, right? Okay. When you're starting out, don't deny, don't, you know, don't turn down stuff unless you're really morally 
ethically opposed right. to it. Obviously, right. like if you don't want to do porn or whatever, like there's certain <laughs> criteria. And uh, but oddly now, I think that reality television is one rung under porn because you know at least when you are a talent on porn, you show up and you know you're going to get fucked. But in reality, a lot of these people signed a contract, didn't get paid anything, and they kind of feel fucked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a kind of basic analogy, but I really do feel like the genre just went off the rails. So it's just not what I signed up for. So I actually tried to exit reality in 1998. Oh, wow. Um, which is not soon, you know, it was a, a few years after getting into it. And uh, and so I basically, you know, stopped doing the real world after um, Boston. <clears throat> Turned down, uh, regrettably, <laughs> Hawaii, the Hawaii season of Real World, because it looked like a blast, and all my friends did it, but oh. I just was like, I need to do something else, okay. and it was my chance to you know, try to make that jump, and then uh, Survivor came out, and it just changed the game for the whole genre and made it primetime, and so I got asked to do The Mole for ABC, which was their answer to Survivor, and, uh, and I said, hell yeah, and that's what got me into the union, the Directors Guild. And so I ended up going back into it, and then I had kids, and you go back to you know you're started when you have kids, you don't say no to anything. Right. You're like, okay, who's your daddy? That sounds like a great idea for a show. Sign me up. You'll do whatever, you know. Even though it does, you know, you're rolling your eyes half the time. Yeah. Going, I can't believe people watch this stuff. But uh, yeah. So was, then you have kids, and then I wanted to ask you, how did your view on success change? Uh, from when you first started to then when you have kids. I'm sure that I don't have kids myself. I don't change it. It changes a lot of mentality. Um, yeah. I mean, success is, you know, very individual when you're by yourself. You're not, you're not in a relationship and you're a single young man trying to make it your own way or young woman. It doesn't matter. Um, but once you partner up with somebody, I got married. Once you have kids, you define success as being able to provide. Uh, you know, on a basic level, but also trying to balance your life so you can actually be there with your kids. And like the first year of my kid's life, I was on a show called Renovate My Family. And it was supposed to be a 10-week shoot, and it turned into seven months. And it was building, it was basically a knockoff of uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And so we, but we were going to city to city, trying to build a house in a week, and it always ended up turning into three weeks or a month because of hurricanes and <laughs> fires and whatnot. Yeah, I remember that show. And uh, so it just, I was gone for seven months. I was gone for like two weeks at a time and then back for a week. Three weeks for a time, back for a week. Four weeks for a time, back for a week. And when you've got little babies, I mean, brand new kids, they were a year old. Um, it was, you know, that's when you start redefining success. You're like, okay, how can I get a better balance and actually that looking back seemed like very balanced because yeah. it was only two three weeks away and then home for a week you know so yeah. you they don't know that you're gone you know they don't really recognize it uh, but as they get older and when the car shows up to take you to the airport and they hear the tile floors the the bag on the saltillo tiles and yeah. they just start crying from the sound mm -hmm. like pavlov's dog <laughs> they know that dad's leaving just because that cuck, 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 cuck sound that's you know, like you're like okay. I need to figure out and you see it in their something face. else to do. What about your your relationship with your wife? Did, did she resent you for that, or uh, she ended up divorcing me for it? Yeah, so oh. I, I guess you could say she resented it. <laughs> uh, she didn't seem to complain much, you know, through the whole time. But uh, yeah, I guess it had a cumulative effect um, being gone a lot. But I, to be honest, I was more hands on than most parents are. I think more, most dads were at least 
the dads that I grew up with. Right. Like my dad worked, you know, crazy hours. He was a surgeon. So he was like in the office doing surgery office and then, you know, golfing, trying to enjoy some personal time. So I was, you know, pretty much didn't have a lot of influence other than he would come in to lay down the law if we were in trouble for something (laughs) but it really wasn't you know that much you know that i remember um but uh so i try to not do that you know consciously and try to be there for my kids and be an influence and and take some of the burden off of my ex but you know it's never enough i don't know (laughs) i don't want to get too much into this but it's uh uh you know yeah so what are some things you had to change to later on find that balance? I know that you're now really involved in your kids' lives. I mean, I see your, your posts. I've talked to you about it. Um, when did you kind of make the decision that they're going to be priority? Um, I mean, they were always a priority from the day they were born. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, they say the day, the, kid, the day your kids are born is the best day of your life. It was the most stressful day of my life. Mm-hmm. That's when you kind of go, all right, this is, these are the priority. Right it really now. matters. Yeah. And I was super, like, super tight with my kids growing up. Like, I always made time. Like, I would respect them. Like, they didn't have to earn my respect. Mm. Like, I was like, if I was talking to an adult, I wasn't one of those dads who was like, hold on, I'm talking. Yeah. I was like, hold on, my children They're are talking. trying to communicate something. So, and, and all the adults I would say that to got it. So, that's how I approached my kids. I always gave them respect first. And that did come back tenfold. Like, even when they were little kids, mm-hmm. I would respect their opinions, their emotions, their feelings, and it did. It, it affected, I think, their upbringing and how they are today, which is pretty solid kids. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, and so then, talking a little bit about you, when I first met you, you were starting your law degree, um, or right, just starting, actually. Um, actually, I think I met you before I started. Yes, yeah, I think it was a year after that, and I remember talking to you about it, and, and you know, it was going to be tough, it's something you set out to do. A, why did you set out to do that, and B, what were the challenges with that? There are so many reasons. First of all, I told myself I wanted to do it 30 years prior, um, and I got talked out of it mm. by a lot of lawyer friends. Of course. <laughs> um, and a lot of the people that influenced me just to, you know, in life, not even just as to wanting to be a lawyer, were a lot of my friends' parents, um, my uncle and some other folks. But a lot of these people that talked me out of it were the reason I wanted to study it because I thought they were the smartest people in the room. I liked how they articulated themselves. I liked how they thought. I liked how they, you know, figured out, you know, analyzed. Why do you and think they were trying to turn you out of it? Because I was my 19-year-old self. Okay. <laughs> you know, this is when I was like right out of high school. Oh, okay. So I was a, a, a little rambunctious and I ended up with the career I should have had. I mean, I got to go on the road with bands. Right. I got to, you know, tour with Road Rules and, you know, I needed to be in the world and active. The idea of me sitting at a table, no one that knew me saw that as my path. Um, you know, writing, doing the paper pushing yeah. part of it um, but I just wanted the educational part of it um, and along the way I mean there's a million people that inspired me to want to do it but I've kind of made a promise to myself back then and I found this opportunity after I got divorced uh, to move up to Santa Barbara and I wanted to be with my kids so I had this kind of four year left of you know wanting to be in my kids life but not like hover over them yeah. so I wanted to I don't know it just seemed like the best opportunity best time to do it so I just struck while the iron was hot 
Well, what a, I mean, that's the definition of it's never too late. You know, you set out to do something. Um, you did it. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. It's pretty amazing. So what now? Where, where do you want to have to take you now? Well, hey. I just got done doing a, like, I'm back to work in production. Okay. This, I, I took the bar July 26th and 27th. And I tailgated the second day because I, I didn't get any lunch on the first day because <laughs> mm -hmm. I was too stressed out. I didn't think to bring food. So the second day I had a cooler with sandwiches and diet sodas. And uh, one of the clients I work for, Fox Sports, um, uh, my friend sends me the bat signal. Like that means he needs me for work. Okay. <laughs> so I got a text at lunch during the bar. And I told them like months before, I said, you know, I'm not available for the next three months. But as soon as I am, you know, let me know. And he literally sent me that text while I was on lunch from the second day of the bar and uh, the next day I started you know the seeds of this job Connie and I my girlfriend went to uh, Vegas for a couple of days just to decompress yeah. uh, but I started on this gig like immediately so it all worked out perfectly and I just shot a bunch of promos for Fox Sports for uh, NFL on Fox for this season okay. that'll run all the way through the season nice and they, uh, it's like they're, they have a new announcing team they got Greg Olson Aaron Andrews, Tom Rinaldi, and uh, uh, Kevin Burkhart. And I did the same thing for MLB three years ago, okay. before COVID. Um, and so they just had me do that, and it was nice to get back to work and get the company up. That My company was on mothballs for two years with COVID. Hmm. I had done some other jobs, you know, on a baking show um, and some other stuff as a creative director with Fox Sports, but my company was dead in the water for two years so it was nice to get a little infusion and get back to work through my my own brand yeah a question i'd like to ask my guests um what are some of the biggest and most most lasting impacts you had on someone um you've had such a interesting career that it seems a lot of things that happen as you go um and you've had some friends you've mentioned some influential people in your life can you think of a time where you've been that influential person in someone's life that's a tough question because it seems really pretentious to mm -hmm. to think that way. Yeah. Like, oh, I hooked this person up. You know? <laughs> um, I think there's one person out there who would agree, and uh, he's uh, my little brother. His mm. name is Slick Two Three uh, Earl Barlow, and he was a uh, he's just been a friend of mine for God almost almost 20 years now but he was a PA on a show that I did renovate my family and he was just one of those guys that I recognized you know he had the same kind of energy I did when I was starting out and he was just any anything like he would just kill it at anything he did um, and it was kind of you know production assistant is not really a highly skilled job so you don't really get a sense of who someone is from sweeping floors or you know whatever they're you're, you're tasking them to mm -hmm. do but he just had this energy like he was just he was just going to crush whatever he touched and that's the kind of people you'd like to put your energy behind and support and, and build up and help them develop their career so um, he was a pa on that show and then i made him the transportation coordinator gave him a little upgrade and brought him on as a camera assistant put the camera on his shoulder for the first time you know ever on a show i did with stan lee uh, wow. and uh, brought him around the world um, as a camera assistant on the show Worldwide Tribe that I did with the guys from Miami Inc. that never aired um, and then he's been a director on Love and Hip Hop for as long as it's been around wow. and uh, yeah he did the music on my short film that I did I did another short film like in 2004 around the time that I, I met him and uh, he did an original song for it and just like crushed it like first day he's a producer and a rapper and Literally, just like 
anything you task him with, he just crushes it. Yeah. So he's one of those guys that I just know, like, you know, he, he will take any opportunity, and, and he did. And he's been working and gainfully employed, and hopefully he'll remember me when I'm unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have a problem with that. So success now, um, what is it now at this time, at this point in your life? How do you view it? Is it about, what is it exactly? Um, I mean, it's definitely evolves. I think everyone's idea of success is, should always evolve. Because, um, you know, when you're broke, it should be about, not, you know, being able to sustain, you know, your family or yourself. When you have enough, you know, to live on and not worry about, you know, surviving. Um, like sometimes surviving is success, right? Mm. But when you're comfortable, then it should be about enjoying your life and having a balance in life. I am always impressed and kind of tripped out a little bit by, oops, um, by people that I've worked with, like Gene Simmons and, you know, just people that, you know, are financially set, but every thought in their brain is business, right? Everything that goes through them, other than family. I think he was actually a great father. Mm. I spent some time with him uh, and I was impressed with his his perspective on family, but he really was the most like business-oriented person i ever met. And uh, so he kind of, in a way, pissed me off, <laughs> but he also inspired me. Like, um, hanging out with him in Japan for a week wow. uh, was like going to a little mini business school. We were stuck in traffic in a van, and I you know, would just blurt out my little dumb ideas, and he would basically pick them apart and tell me, like, what was wrong with them, what was right with them. Like, That's so cool. He was, a, he was a teacher back in the yeah. day, so he still is that way. Um, but, you know, when is enough enough? You know, like... He joked that when he when he dies, he wants to put all of his money because he would never leave all of his money to his kids because that would just ruin them. That's a perfect way to ruin someone, and I agree with that philosophy. But then he joked, or maybe not joking, you never know. He said he wants to put all of his money in a, a kiss coffin and bury it somewhere and make a, a, a scavenger hunt to find it. Oh man! Because even in death, he wants attention. Is what he said. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's pretty <laughs> funny. But kind of a rock star. Very on point. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I don't know. Like, would, like, I would always want to work. That's one of the reasons I went to law school is because I never want to not work. I never want to not be productive. I never want to not learn something. Mm. So, for me, success is continuing to just be productive and evolve as a person and help along the way, hopefully help. Um, so, like, the law degree for me is to augment my film career, right? Help me build my business. Help me understand the the legal and the corporate side of mm -hmm. building a brand. Um, but it's also like that backup plan that my dad told me to have when I said I wanted to be a filmmaker. And he spat his Brussels sprouts all over the Christmas table just in defiance. Like, you'll never make it in that business. Like, what are you thinking? Go mm. Get your accounting degree, kid. That's how dads think. That's how they're supposed to think. 100%. To a degree, I feel the same way, but you, know, you got to support your kids to kind of find their own way and and take chances because you have to take chances when you're young to be successful later doing what you want. You don't want to be 53 and regretting it. You know, like yeah. I'm 53 now and I, I have no regrets. Like I didn't go to law school because I have regrets. It's because I'm thinking, okay, maybe a Gary Marshall I met, he was still directing films in his late 70s and he, uh, he loved the work. And I'm like, well, maybe I could do some all-nighters. Maybe I could work, you know, when I'm 75. But do I want to do reality shows when I'm 75? Mm -hmm. No. Do I want to help, you know, people that are in, you know, legal trouble? 
you know, change the world a little bit, do something positive for society. And yeah. So it's really just about always being able to do something that will contribute. And so I'll never be twiddling my thumbs going, what, where's the next job? You know? So two things I want to touch on. Your, your son is a pilot. Congratulations to him. That's pretty amazing at his age. Um, did you support his dream right away? I kind of feel like I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> I was like, I used to love planes when I was a kid, right? Because you want you don't want to like, admit consciously that you're kind of living vicariously through your kids, and uh -huh. you, you don't want to admit that maybe you kind of influenced them to to do this. Because I never wanted to be that dad. Like, I was a failed hockey player, so here are some hockey sticks, right? right? <laughs> I, I always was like, I don't want to ever do that. But when they were they were little kids, both my kids, I have twins. Uh, boy girl and I brought him to the end of the airport because I was always fascinated with giant planes I mean just never wanted to fly I was kind of afraid of flying for a long time just from bad experiences um, but I, I worked at the airport parking garage when I was 18 years old in San Francisco and I was always happy when I got the rooftop um, parking booth because all the 747s would fly and I would just be mesmerized I mean as a grown man I was still just blown away by these things flying and funny, years later, I met a pilot of a 747. Uh, they call it a whale. It's a cargo pilot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how, how do those things fly? He's like, you know what? All these years I'm flying, and I know the physics of it. Every time I'm on the runway, I'm like, come on, <laughs> come on. I'm like, I don't really want to hear this. Like, I want to know that you have full confidence. Yeah. He's like, it's different because we're a cargo. So it's just us and hoping that people stowed things properly underneath. Um, but uh, you know just like experiences like that and then he started watching movies as a kid and he really got his own passion for it I mean maybe a little bit with Star Wars you know the action flying yeah. in Star Wars which I guess I would say was my bad influence um, but he got into he really got into it and also just kind of World War II World War I um, history as a little kid like seven eight year old um, watching the Red Baron movie huh. and he just he would draw his little you know, chicken scratch drawings with, you know, the Red Baron flying and gun blasts. He just was a little kid who got got into it. And then uh, uh, my girlfriend, Connie, who you know, mm -hmm. she found this scholarship that the uh, airport authority in San Inez Valley was offering for people that wanted to learn how to fly at airport day. It was sponsored by the Chumash um, tribe or, or casino and uh, and a bunch of other people that contributed to the airport authority to give these opportunities to people that would normally not have them. And so he signed up and he applied for this on his own. I mean, Connie discovered it, sent right. it to him. And he's like, hell yeah. So he filled it out. He had to get letter, letters of recommendation. Uh, so one of my good friends from middle school, who's a captain of the Navy and was an aviator, he was one of the letters of recommendation with the official you wow. know, letterhead. Like, and, he, and he knew Luke. He knew him since he was like four years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he supported him. Teachers supported him. Like He got a bunch of people to write the letters, and, and he wrote his own essay, and he was one of the three kids picked. And so he won and wow. got to, you know, at least the first, like I think it was like $5,000. Um, just to get started and the hook was set and you know I've, I've always taught them like both my kids never give up never give in is like the motto like if you start something finish it pretty standard stuff right and uh, but it's just ingrained everything he starts he finishes um, but that one required money right so it was like 
it's like a drug dealer it's like the first one's free mm-hmm. the first 10 hours are free but you actually need 60 hours yes. so my family chipped in my mom especially she just heard she had an uncle who or a, a stepbrother who was a pilot fighter pilot so she was all all about it and really backed him up and and through covid it took a little longer than he wanted but he ended up flying solo at 16 he started at 14 Jeez. flew solo on uh, on his 16th birthday and then because of covid it took him two years instead of the normal year to get his private oh, okay so two days after his 18th birthday uh he got his private pilot's license and he hasn't taken me flying yet <laughs> um, but he, sure he's come. got it yeah that's pretty amazing um, another question I have for you is there something you haven't done in your life yet that you want to do I just did it law okay. school <laughs> nice okay so yeah I mean I've, I've been fortunate to get paid to travel so I'm kind of stingy about like traveling on my own dime it's okay. kind of funny like I just I got so used to the idea of not having to pay to travel that I don't really do a lot of travel on my own which okay. I, I should do yeah but man I mean, I guess flying a jet, fighter jet, <laughs> one of the bucket list items, um, and little things like I've never like my bo- my son just moved to Boston for uh, he transferred for a second year of college, and I lived in Boston. I did the real world Boston, and I loved that town. And I brought him there to kind of turn him on to the university scene there because there's so many schools. And I realized that that I've never seen like the fall colors. Like I've seen it in pictures and mm. car commercials. And I live there in the wintertime, but I've never seen that turn. I'm like, that's something. I'm, I just added it to the list, you know. So anything from fighter jets down to seeing fall colors, you know. Like, there's a big spectrum of what I still want to do. But uh, yeah. well, a career like move, I haven't made a feature film yet. I've made a short, but I've never made a feature, so. Something else you want to do? Yeah, I'm in the process of doing that right now. I actually optioned three books while I was in law school with my entertainment law professor helping me. Uh-huh. Did the agreement. He kind of, you know, signed off on it, um, and another uh, lawyer friend who kind of helped me piecemeal it together with some other agreements because we were trying to make a really individualized agreement uh, with a buddy of mine that I went to film school with, and he turned into an author and a great author, and he wrote these three books. Um, the first one was Dove Season, and uh, he it was like a runner-up for Amazon Book Contest, which got him published, and he's now published I don't know like eight books and a bunch of I don't know like. Pulp, um, pulp novels and he just has written like prolifically and he tra- he's traveling around the world with his wife and they've lived in all, all kinds of countries uh, Romania um, Croatia Spain they're in Montreal right now and he just he's living the dream yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to make that into into a feature so I'm uh-huh. adapting the first book and uh, it's just a great well written story by a, a great writer yeah I love to see it well, thank you for your time. One final question I'd like to ask. I didn't prep you for this, so take your time. But um, once you're ready to leave the world, leave Earth, you, you, you accomplish everything you wanted to, what's one final nugget you want to leave your kids behind or people that know you? I'm going to tell them to get a kiss coffin and put whatever I have left and bury it because <laughs> I want attention even in death. <laughs> um, what would I leave behind? You know, my best friend passed away when I was 27. He was working on a movie called Starship Troopers. Mm. And part of the process of, of getting through the grief of you know, losing such a, a close friend, he was like my brother, you know. Uh, at that time, the family set up this thing where we all you know had to say, like, what's one thing that you want to take from him and, you know, keep in the world? And what's one thing you want to, you know, share with others? And... Uh, it was that just that sense of self, that self-awareness, that self-confidence 
um, I hope that I instill that in my kids because it just is invaluable. Like in the success part, sure, but it's just in life, in relationships and work, just being self-aware I think is the greatest asset that people can have um, to get through life. So if you're not there to help your kids anymore physically, you hope that you instill them with that confidence, that sense of self, and understanding like they're you know being honest with yourself too. That's part of being self-aware is being straight up factual and frank with yourself what your strengths are in the world and what your weaknesses are uh exercise the weaknesses and and you know nurture the the strengths and so i think that's what i would want to leave i mean in a sort of metaphorical sense yeah i hope i leave a fat stack of cash but (laughs) (laughs) still tbd (laughs) tbd well, I just want to end it with thanking you again. Um, I, like I said, I've known you ever since I met you. You hosted a Super Bowl party, yep. Eagles uh, Patriots. That's when I met you, 2018, and you were so welcoming. I knew about your per- your success in your professional life, but then got to know you as a person, and hopefully, continue to get you know more. So was that the first time we met? I thought we met in the press room. Yes, we met there press real quick, and then we got, you invited us to that. That's yeah. right. Yep. And then and then we had some really good conversations over a few beers at the press room too. So yeah. <laughs> I, I miss you. That. You haven't been to the press room in a long time. I know. Man. Trying to you're probably it. probably a lot healthier for it try <laughs> but thank you again craig i hope we can do this again sometime definitely wish you the Anytime. best and um yeah i'll see you soon thank you man thank you all for tuning in today i had so much fun with this one and i hope you got something out of it if you enjoyed it please hit that five star rating and follow the podcast on instagram at local.success see you next time